Few sounds evoke a feeling of wildness quite like the howling of coyotes. It seems to touch some primitive part of our brains, a, a part that remembers a time when we were not quite at the top of the food chain. Maybe it's because they're most frequently heard at night, and at our core, we're still, if not necessarily afraid of the dark, at least wary of the night when our vision is limited and unseen animals call to each other from the shadows. For most of us, coyotes are the closest thing to a large predator that we might encounter. Add to that their shy nature and haunting howls, and it makes them mysterious and therefore often misunderstood. People, especially people in cities and the suburbs, think that there's something to be feared, but the reality is that coyote attacks on people are rare. Coyotes are intelligent and shy, and when other large predators, like their cousins the wolves, were being eliminated, coyotes were not just able to survive, but to thrive alongside humans. Their howls may sound wild, but chances are, no matter where you're at, coyotes are closer than you think. So today, let's pierce the darkness and shine a spotlight on the coyote. Hello, Wild Wanderers. I'm your host, Tim, the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. While researching for this program, I did some reading about how coyotes were depicted in Native American mythology. In most Native American lore, coyote is considered sacred and generally associated with cleverness. But by far the most amusing coyote myth I came across comes from the Chinook tribe of the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to paraphrase it quite a bit. Coyote was trying to catch salmon and failing. He got angry and defecated. I mean, that seems reasonable, right? Well, his feces started insulting him, calling him a liar and bandy legs. Now, eventually, his steaming pile of insults gives him detailed instructions for catching and preparing the fish. Now, I've had some crappy luck when fishing, but this takes it to a whole other level. In most Native American stories, Coyote is a trickster, sometimes malevolent, sometimes comical. He deceives, but he also gives wisdom. In some stories, he's like Prometheus of Greek mythology, stealing fire to give to humans. In some lore, he's greedy, impulsive, and even evil, bringing death, and often causing his own through his own recklessness. Wild E. Coyote of Saturday morning cartoon fame follows this same archetype, a certified genius but too clever for his own good, usually bringing about his own demise by trying too hard. We rooted for Roadrunner, and we viewed Wiley as the villain. Perhaps it's this image of the coyote as a reckless hero trickster or a villain that subconsciously colors our opinion of coyotes today. In the book of Wolves and Men, the author Barry Lopez writes, We know little about wolves, but a great deal about what we believe wolves to be. And I think this same idea applies to coyotes. Misunderstanding breeds fear. Here's an example. A couple of years ago, when living in Nebraska, a message was posted on the Nextdoor app for my neighborhood, which bordered Fontenelle Forest Nature Center, which is 1,500 acres of woods and wetlands, and Gifford Point Wildlife Management Area, which borders both the forest and the Missouri River. That's another 1,700 acres of lowland woods and wetlands. 
The message warned neighbors of a coyote sighting on the gravel road that ran right behind my house, a road that borders and in places divides Fontenelle Forest and dead ends at the wildlife management area. The author of the post stated that while walking on the road, he saw a coyote, one coyote, which he described as stalking him. Pretty soon, the worried replies began to come in. One neighbor asked how many were in the pack. I didn't stick around to find out, the man replied. So it appears that he assumed that this lone coyote was A, out to get him, and B, if he saw one coyote, there must be more lurking out of sight. Another neighbor chimed in that she was always worried about encountering coyotes or mountain lions when going out to her car early in the morning to go to work. For the record, although mountain lions have occasionally shown up in the Omaha area, it's incredibly rare. But reading this thread, you would have thought that my neighborhood was a hotbed of predatory animals just lying in wait to attack unsuspecting humans going about their morning routines. What really got me, though, is that nobody should have been surprised to see a coyote along this road, especially not if you live in that area. Turkey and deer are regularly seen in the neighborhood, not to mention the squirrels, possums, raccoons, muskrat, feral cats, and other wildlife. Between the Nature Center and the Wildlife Management Area, it's 3,200 acres of perfect coyote habitat. And that doesn't include the large wooded backyards and nine-hole golf course of the neighborhood itself. Plenty big enough to support not just one, but several packs. People regularly hike the 17 miles of trail that Fontenelle Forest has to offer and hunt at Gifford Point. And to my knowledge, no one has ever been attacked by a coyote there. So let's talk about what a coyote is. A coyote, as I'm sure you know, is basically a wild dog, smaller than a wolf, bigger than a fox. The average coyote weighs between 20 and 50 pounds. Like many mammals, they tend to be larger in the northern part of their range to help them contend with the colder winters. They stand about two feet tall at the shoulder and have a tannish or gray coat usually, though it can be almost black, and a bushy tail, usually with a black tip. Comparing it to a domestic dog, coyotes look something like a medium-sized German shepherd. Two of the best questions I was ever asked in a program were about coyotes. The first was, how can you tell the difference between a male and a female coyote when they're running down the golf course? I laughed because, well, we all know what you have to look for, but coyotes run with their tails down, so you can't see the distinguishing features that would give you a definitive answer. The best you can do is guess that the larger one, if there is one, is probably the male. The other question was from a man who told me he had been at Rocky Mountain National Park and saw what he thought were two German shepherds. But a woman standing next to him said, no, no, those are coyotes. So his question to me was, is it true that they tie bandanas on coyotes at Rocky Mountain National Park? Now, the image of Park Service rangers trapping coyotes just to tie a jaunty bandana around their neck always gives me a little bit of a chuckle. It may be that he mistook a radio collar for a bandana. They do sometimes radio collar coyotes to track their movements, or he really did see a couple of German shepherds. So my answer was no, they're not tying bandanas on coyotes in the national parks. Although, if they put different colored bandanas on the males and females, we would be able to tell the difference when they ran down the golf course. Like wolves, coyotes live in a pack, and the pack is a family unit. It consists of mated male and female and their offspring. On average, this is about five to six adults plus pups. 
And just like wolves, I hesitate to use the alpha designation because I think it's a little bit misleading. Only the alpha pair mate because they're generally the parents. The rest of the pack are usually their offspring. It has little to do with dominance and aggression. Coyotes are one of the few wild animals who are commonly heard and have been described as, quote, the most vocal of all wild North American mammals. In fact, their scientific name, Canis latrans, translates to barking dog. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I think this contributes to their mystery because they're often heard howling in the darkness much more than they're seen. At night, coyotes howl and emit a series of short, high-pitched yips. Howls are used to keep in touch with other coyotes in the area and to warn neighboring coyotes and prevent conflict. Yelping can be a celebration or a criticism among a small group, often heard during play among pups. Barking is thought to be a threat when protecting the den or a kill. They will also emit a low huffing sound as a way to call pups without making too much noise. I think of this like the parental whisper. You parents know the one I'm talking about, the one that says, you had better knock it off without it being heard by anyone else in the vicinity. Individual territories can be as small as an eighth of a square mile or as large as 24 square miles, depending on the abundance of food, den sites, and competition. Coyote packs will defend their territory from other packs. However, unlike wolves, coyotes don't usually defend it outside of the breeding season and are much less aggressive towards intruders than wolves. Now, coyote attacks on people are rare, and I'm going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. But recently, there was actually an incident with a coyote on a trail right here near Dispatches HQ, a trail that I frequently mountain bike. A man out hiking alone early in the morning was attacked by a coyote and sustained minor injuries. There was a lot of speculation around what precipitated this attack. Was the coyote rabid? Was it even a coyote or just someone's dog? Come to find out that this was a case of a female with pups simply protecting her den. But again, misunderstanding bred fear. And again, people know less about the reality of the coyote and a great deal about what they imagine the coyote to be. On the Facebook page for the trails, one person jumped in to say that the coyote pack in that area was getting, quote, too big, and confidently stated that once a pack reached to a certain size, the pack would start to go after bigger prey, like deer and pets and children. And that, quote, they, whoever they are, I assumed he was a member of this nebulous they, would need to, quote, do something about the pack this fall. Now, the truth is, when a pack starts to get larger, it usually triggers the urge in some members to disperse, to strike out and establish a territory in a pack of their own. What it's not is a cue to start eating the neighborhood children. Unlike wolves, which travel and hunt large game as a pack, coyotes tend to hunt and travel alone or in loose pairs. 
Occasionally, and it happens more frequently in the fall, temporary non-family packs may form to hunt larger prey too big to bring down alone. But again, these are temporary packs, and they're usually hunting deer, not people. So reducing the size of a pack like this just means opening up more territory for dispersing coyotes looking to find a mate and start a pack of their own. Between a third and half of coyotes in a given area are alone while searching for a mate and a territory of their own. So if you see a lone coyote, there's no way to know if it's alone or part of a pack. Now this same commenter who was certain the local coyotes were on the verge of treating the closest elementary school as their own personal buffet went on to tell a story about how he and his daughter-in-law were hunting and he watched as three coyotes picked up her scent. Then he claimed that one of them circled around through the woods to outflank her, showing up in front of her tree stand, quote, expecting to catch her on the ground, unquote. The other two had followed her track. He called it a classic flush and ambush scenario that canines have been using since the beginning of time. When his daughter-in-law went to shoot the one near her tree stand, he saw her, yelped, and took off, causing the other two to run also. Now, I suspect that this gentleman had some pre-existing bias towards coyotes, which colored his perception of their behavior. He made a whole lot of assumptions about what they were thinking and what they were doing, primarily that they were hunting his daughter-in-law with the intent to kill. He saw coyotes and assumed they were a threat. Now, I've encountered coyotes, and when I moved out of sight, they came to check out what I was up to. To me, it felt like curiosity, not menace. Now, it's possible that these coyotes were hunting his daughter-in-law, but it's not very probable. It's been theorized that coyotes are generally scared of people because since we walk upright, we resemble bears when they rear up on their hind legs. The coyotes this man saw could just as easily been curious about a new scent in their territory, protecting a den, or tracking something else. The only ones who know for sure are the coyotes, and they're not talking. So if people are off the menu, what do coyotes eat? Well, coyotes are opportunistic hunters and will eat almost anything, easily shifting their diet to whatever is most available. Primarily, they're scavengers or prefer small game like rabbits and squirrels. They will eat deer if they can take them down, but unlike wolves that hunt mostly large ungulates, deer are not the primary prey of coyotes. They will also eat insects, fruit, snakes, and occasionally birds, and yes, coyotes may attack and kill pets. Anecdotally, I have heard stories of coyotes luring pet dogs out of their yards and killing them. Now, they don't seem to be doing this as a food source, but more as a way of protecting their territory from what they perceive to be an intruder. In rural areas, they garner the hatred of ranchers by killing smaller livestock like sheep, goats, and newborn calves. But just removing a large predator from an ecosystem has consequences. In one study, when the population of coyotes in an area was cut in half, the population of badgers, foxes, and bobcats increased, and the population of jackrabbits tripled within a year. And since jackrabbits compete with livestock for forage, the ranchers don't much like them either. It's also interesting to note that it's often only one or two coyotes in a particular area that cause problems, but control methods often take a shotgun approach, sometimes literally, that eliminates any coyote that is seen and often misses the problem individual. 
This can lead to the problems I just mentioned, an increase in other predators or animals that compete for resources while doing nothing to deter the coyote causing the problem. And so a vicious cycle begins. Some people have argued that coyotes are hard on game birds, but research shows that the opposite is true, since coyotes feed primarily on rodents and suppress the populations of smaller predators, they have a positive impact on populations of birds like quail, grouse, and turkeys. Now, this adaptable diet of smaller game and a tendency to hunt singly or in pairs makes coyotes very adaptable. Prior to the 1700s and the arrival of European settlers, coyotes were restricted primarily to the Great Plains, Desert Southwest, and Mexico. Their tanned fur would have been excellent camouflage against dry prairie grass and desert sand. Now, as other large predators like wolves, bears, and mountain lions were driven out, coyotes adapted and thrived in spite of the fact that they were targets too. In many areas, they became the apex predator and expanded their range to the west and to the northeast. By the early 1900s, they were present all along the west coast of North America, up into Alaska, as well as the Great Lakes region. Today, coyotes are present in almost all of North America except for the farthest northern reaches of Canada. This adaptability applies to urban areas as well. Coyotes survive quite well even in big cities. Coyotes are found in nearly every major city where they can create territories out of a patchwork of parks and green spaces. In urban areas, they often feed on trash and possibly stray cats. The science is still out on that one. In one study, evidence of cats was present in about 20% of urban coyote feces. In another, only about 1.3%. But either way, they reduce the presence of free-roaming cats, which protects songbirds. They also help control populations of other problematic urban species like deer, rodents, and geese. But what about people? Should we be worried about encountering a coyote on our morning walk or when heading out to the car before sunrise? The answer is probably not. Like I said before, attacks on humans are rare. The U.S. average is about 10 per year, and there's not been a death from a coyote attack in the U.S. since 1981. Let's put that into perspective. On average, 4.5 million Americans are bitten by dogs each year, resulting in between 30 and 50 deaths and up to 13,000 hospitalizations. As wild animals go, you should be more concerned about deer. Deer kill about 200 people a year by causing traffic accidents, and 49 people each year are killed by lightning. You're much more likely to be killed or injured by hitting a deer on your way to work or even being struck by lightning than you are to be attacked by a coyote on your way to the car. Heck, I was recently knocked off my bicycle by a deer fawn that ran across the road and right into my front tire. The deer was fine, by the way, and I ended up with a nasty road rash. Coyotes reduce the population of urban deer, which ironically helps protect you and me from the urban deer menace. On the rare occasions that they do happen, coyote attacks usually fall into one of three categories. First, when the animal is injured or sick. Just like domestic dogs, coyotes can contract diseases like rabies or distemper. Second, when they've lost their fear of humans. Now, this usually happens when people feed them, either intentionally or unintentionally. But the majority of coyote attacks occur during the mating and pup rearing season, generally March to August, which indicates that aggressive behavior is more about protecting pups and den sites than trying to make a meal out of a person, like the attack I mentioned on my local trails. 
Also, a disproportionate number of coyote attacks occur in California, and this is probably because of the state's size. Major cities like San Diego, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and San Francisco, and the number of people in the suburban wildland interface, the border between suburban areas and wildland areas. It's in the suburban wildland interface that most coyote encounters occur. This past February, over the course of several weeks, five people were bitten by a coyote in San Francisco. Notice I said bitten by a coyote. All five attacks were the work of a single animal. Now they know this because they were able to collect and analyze the coyote's DNA from the victims. As I mentioned before, a policy of indiscriminate killing of all coyotes in the San Francisco area may very well have missed the offending animal. But wildlife officials wisely trapped, identified, and euthanized only the individual coyote responsible. Likewise, within the city limits of Chicago, with its 2.7 million residents, there's an estimated 4,000 coyotes. There have been a total of two coyote attacks in the last 30 years, and they both occurred on the same day and were probably the same animal. The coyote known to be responsible for at least one of these attacks was caught, and it had been shot in the chest with a BB gun, which may account for its aggressive behavior. It was injured. According to the Urban Coyote Research Project, which studies urban coyotes in the Chicago area, there are steps people can take to avoid a conflict with a coyote. First, they say, the most effective way to help prevent coyotes from being desensitized to people is to eliminate wildlife feeding. Coyotes that are fed in residential neighborhoods can lose their fear of people and may eventually test humans and pets as possible prey. Intentional feeding should be strictly avoided. Many people unintentionally feed coyotes by leaving pet food or garbage accessible at night. The second thing that can be done is keeping pets indoors or on a leash, especially if there are known to be coyotes in the area. Most public trails and parks require dogs to be leashed anyways, but even in fenced yards, pets can be at risk, especially at night. So it's important to keep an eye on them if you live in known coyote territory. To deter coyotes, fences need to be at least six feet tall and have a roller bar on the top. Spaying and neutering feral cats reduces their population and helps prevent them from attracting coyotes also. Third, non-harmful hazing, like motion-activated lights or sound devices, can be effective at deterring coyotes. A house in my Nebraska neighborhood had a motion-activated sprinkler. I'm not sure if it was meant to deter coyotes or human trespassers, but I always thought it was interesting, and I considered using that method to deter raccoons from my chicken coop. Ranchers can use motion-activated lights, overnight enclosures, or guard dogs to deter coyotes. Again, I'm reminded of the Looney Tune cartoons where Wiley Coyote and the Sheepdog are punching their time cards to go to work. One to guard the sheep, and one to try and steal one for a meal. Also, llamas and alpacas are naturally aggressive towards coyotes, as well as foxes and other predators, so they can be used to guard sheep, goats, cows with calves, and poultry. Not to mention that their alarm calls are enough to scare away most intruders. Don't take my word for it. This is the alarm call of an alpaca. So what should you do if you encounter a coyote? Well, if it's acting normally, and by that I mean it's not approaching you or your pet, it's not acting strangely, just leave it be. Don't attempt to engage it or haze it. You might create a conflict where none exists. 
If you're actually approached by a coyote, yelling and throwing things in its direction with the intent to scare, not to injure, will usually scare it away. What you don't want to do is run, because that can trigger an attack. It may then see you as prey. If you live or recreate where there are known to be coyotes and you're concerned about an encounter, you might consider carrying a noisemaker like an air horn, a whistle, or a can of rocks for those morning strolls. Aggressive coyotes or those that don't exhibit fear towards humans should be reported to your local animal control. Encountering an aggressive coyote can be scary and dangerous, but remember that most coyotes aren't aggressive and they're not looking to make a meal out of you. And there are ways to further reduce what is already a small risk. So go on that early morning walk and don't worry too much about coyotes, you know, unless they're carrying a crate stamped Acme or painting a train tunnel on the side of a rock. But keep a sharp eye out for deer. Those things are dangerous. So after I had spent a bunch of time recording and re-recording and editing this episode, I came across some additional information that I kind of wished I had shared. So instead of trying to insert it, I'm going to record this postscript. So regarding coyotes' howlings, coyotes can change their voice midstream. So they can go from a howl to a yip to a bark. And this has the effect of making it sound like there's a whole lot more coyotes around than maybe there really are. And researchers at the Caesar Kyberg Wildlife Research Institute at Texas A&M University played recordings of between one and four coyotes howling and yipping, and they asked people to estimate how many coyotes they thought they heard. And what they found was that people would consistently overestimate the number of coyotes. If it was just one coyote, they would think it was maybe three or four. If it was three or four coyotes, they might think it was eight to 12. And again, I think this has the effect on us psychologically of making it seem like there's a lot more out there lurking in the darkness, a lot, a lot more danger, if you will. The second thing I wanted to share with you was regarding coyotes attacking livestock. And I recently heard a coyote expert suggest that ranchers will often spend more to try and eliminate a few coyotes than what it would cost them if they lost a calf. But what I really found interesting is that he said that he advises ranchers who lose a calf to get rid of the mother cow because he said a good mother won't let a coyote anywhere near her calf. And a mother cow can weigh in excess of 500 pounds. She can easily fend off a coyote or even two. So he said if a rancher loses a calf to a coyote, it's an indication that the mother is not paying attention, is basically not a good mother. And by two to three weeks old, a calf is big enough that a coyote is probably not going to attack it. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to share with you is that coyotes are monogamous and they mate for life. Coyotes will grieve a lost mate and may never recover from their loss. An adult coyote almost never finds a new mate once it's lost its original mate. Without a partner to help defend its home, a widowed coyote is unlikely to be able to raise pups alone and may also lose its den, its kill, and its hunting grounds to rivals. Thanks for listening, Wild Wanderers. Don't forget to leave a like and follow so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're enjoying Dispatches from the Forest, please consider supporting the podcast by heading over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest and becoming a patron. 
If you have a message for me, I can be reached by email at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. For more information on urban coyotes, check out the Urban Coyote Research Project website at urbancoyoteresearch.com. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast without express written permission.